Hey coaches, you are tuned in to Keep Your Pads Down, but we are home from the beach and ready to get back to our regularly scheduled programming here with episode 18. This week we welcome Coach Zach Leonard, defensive coordinator and defensive line coach at Christianburg High School in Christianburg, Virginia. Coach Leonard played football at D3 Ferrum College, where he lettered four years at defensive end before beginning his coaching career at Glenver High School in Roanoke County, Virginia. In June, Coach Leonard released his book entitled Outside Shades, a book that details the fundamentals and techniques of defensive line play. And if you're a defensive line coach, this is a book you need to read. I just ordered my copy last night, and we'll be diving into it this week between Fireworks, Man in the Grill, and Lee Greenwood on repeat this week as I gear up for 4th of July. Anyway, I know you'll be enjoying hearing Coach Leonard today. His passion and enthusiasm for defensive line play is contagious. So here we go. Let's dive into Episode 18, KYPD. Coach Leonard, it's great to have you on today representing the great state of Virginia. Looking forward to talking some D-line play with you today. Thanks for having me on, Coach. Well, you got to start out by talking to us because I'm sure, well, for me, I'm speaking for me, I've never set foot in the state of Virginia. Uh, I hear it's a great place. My dad lived there for a little bit when he was a kid. I had a friend uh, go to VMI uh, out of high school to play soccer. Other than that, and Virginia Tech and and uh, Virginia, I really don't know anything else about the state. So fill us in, start off by filling us in a little about uh, the state of Virginia and high school football there and, and your experiences growing up. All right, well, the first thing you got to know about Virginia is the weather. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, and that relates to football, obviously, but you'll go from super, super hot, 90, 100 degree weather. A few days later, it can be back down to the 60s. You have to deal with snow. Uh, you know, we get all the seasons, so that's some, that's an interesting problem, but it's something I love. I just love having all seasons. I mean, it's awesome. Um, but when it comes to high school football, it's an interesting place because, you know, up close to D.C. and Richmond, Virginia Beach, those areas, it's actually a very heavily populated place, you know, very uh, big cities and stuff like that. But then where I live, southwest Virginia, it's really small and spread out. And the football kind of goes with that as well. So there is a ton of athletes up north. But the, the cool thing is, is the part of Virginia I live in, we have a lot of really good football coaches. And our football program still competes, you know, Wednesday championships for this area every every single year. So it's kind of an interesting place with that. You know, it's, it's a diverse football state, I'd say. Yeah. How do the classifications work? Uh, do y'all have, you know, does it go on from 1A up to 5A, 6A? How does that work? Yes, sir. It goes all the way up to 6A. Um, it was 1 through 3 when I played high school football, but the interesting thing was they just kind of flipped those three classifications into six. If you're including my eighth grade year, we had four different head coaches in five years. Oh, wow. So, you know, when I got there, yeah, it was crazy. So when I got to college, it was really nice to have that consistency. You know, you're building, you're, you have a program, you're with the same group of, you know, you're with the same group of guys, you know, so it was kind of like that high school experience that most people have, but I, I didn't get that in high school. Yeah. So I just love college football. The other part is, uh, I really fell in love with the technique side of football. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. playing defense in high school, a lot of times they just line me up and would say, you know, 
all right, from here, go get the ball or, you know, something like that. You know, you didn't really get to buy into the technique. And I soaked that up like a sponge when I was a fan. I just loved it. Um, so, yeah, that's my playing experience. Well, well, so at that point as a player, did you always know that you wanted to be a coach or was that something you realized later on? Uh, I, I, for some reason, I just always knew I wanted to be a coach. My mom talks about this literally all the time. She brings it up that in second grade, uh, we had to do a project on what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I just said, all I know is I want to be called coach. Huh. So I guess from that point on, I always knew. Well, did you have people or coaches or guys uh, in your life who sort of influenced you or pushed you in that direction or that you had in your life that you wanted to emulate? Oh, absolutely. I, I grew up, I was very lucky. I had a lot of great coaches around me. But uh, growing up, one of the ones I was the closest with uh, was Kevin Clifford. He actually was the wrestling coach at the local high school, but he was an assistant football coach at the time, and he would come out on his own accord to the rec football practices. So that's when I really met him. My older brother played for him, too, and I wrestled for him all the way growing up. So I looked up to him the whole time. It was really cool. I got in ninth grade, and he became the head football coach. So I got to play for him for one year, but unfortunately, uh, he had to leave that school. Um, but the cool thing about that is, is it came full circle, and he actually hired me for my first football coaching job ever. Cool. So, you know, so he definitely had a big impact on me. And then I had two coaches, you know, all the coaches at Fairmont, I, I loved. I mean, that's family. Uh, Cleve Adams was my defensive coordinator. He's now a head coach at Abert University. And Jim Hickam was my uh, position coach. And I swear, I just turned, like I said, I turned into a sponge and wanted to learn everything I could from him. So I really was close to those guys as well. Well, so as you uh, got ready to break into to coaching, uh, where was your, your first job? Uh, Glenver High School. So that's a two-way here in kind of Roanoke County, so kind of the outskirts of Roanoke. And I just substitute taught that first year um, and then eventually got offered a special education job. Now, I'm a PE major, but, you know, it was great getting my foot in the door. Honestly, if it was been a PE job, I'd still probably be at Glenver to this day because it was just a great school, great situation for me. But eventually I got a job in PE, which was, you know, what I always wanted to do. So you kind of had to take that opportunity. Did you have ever a one of those moments in your early coaching career where uh, you had to go through something? It was kind of like a, a wake-up moment or a, a, maybe a rookie moment as a coach. You know, as an example, for me, kind of the same thing. I substitute taught and volunteered at my first job. It's a really long story how I got that job, but... It was a, uh, I, I rode a cherry red scooter to practice every day and parked it behind the elementary school because I didn't want my players to see me. I just remember yelling way too much and knowing way too little about football. Uh, and, and thankfully, a coach pulled me aside and kind of calmed me down a little bit. But did you have anything like that or, or, or any stories like that where you kind of experienced some growing pains as a young coach? Absolutely. I think a lot of people do. I got kind of a funny story to go with it. So my first year, I was coaching only defensive end. Um, you know, just kind of threw me in, but, you know, with a little bit of a leash, obviously. And I had this one guy, and still, he's one of the most impressive football players I've ever been around. Just one of the toughest kids ever. Uh, his name's Jacob Noble. Literally played the entire season without an ACL. Towards ACL in the off season. And it was his senior year and just decided to play without it. And it was incredible. I have no idea how he did it. But 
he was one of those brutes, and he was just kind of always upfield, if you know what I mean. Just uh-huh. straight yeah. up to straight upfield. He was unblockable. I mean, he couldn't double team him. He couldn't. He just couldn't do anything to him. But he limited his production because he was just upfield. He averaged five, probably four or five tackles a game for the first five weeks. And I just remember Coach Clifford kind of getting on me like, God, you got to get him down the line. And I just, I was kind of with it. I didn't, I really didn't know what to do. Eventually, you know, I guess I got lucky because it finally just clicked for him. And the kids started averaging, you know, 10 to 12 tackles a game for the last part of the season. I mean, he was an unbelievable athlete. Um, so during that time, just another growing pain with that, during that time, you kind of get frustrated and you stop teaching. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. and that makes yeah. it even harder for that kid to learn. So that was kind of one of those situations where I had to kind of step back and say, hey, if this kid's not getting it, it's on me. I got to figure out what I'm doing wrong. So I think he's a great kid and he ended up doing really well and towards the end of the season really played well. But it just, you know, it kind of showed me that my my ego or I don't know what it was, but trying to be overly aggressive and just lost my way kind of hindered him from being as good as he could have been early on, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we all have those moments. We could go back and look. I think sometimes about the drills that I used to do with my guys, and 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 I know if I went back and watched myself when I first got in it, and I haven't been in it that long, but uh, I, I just I, I can't imagine. I would be embarrassed to go back and see. I think some of the things that I was doing early early on. Well, talk to us about where you are now, your position, uh, your school. Tell us a little bit about that. All right, so I'm at a three A school, Christiansburg High School. So you mentioned Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is in Blacksburg. Christiansburg is the neighbor to them, basically. Okay. Um, so this, we're going into our third year here. I'm the defensive coordinator. I came with a guy I worked with at uh, Glenver. You know, we were really close there, and he thought enough of me to invite me. He's just a fantastic head coach to work for. He's just been been great. Um, so I coach defensive line, and I'm the defensive coordinator, which is a little weird, but that kind of gives me a plug for a good friend of mine, uh, Irvin Buchanan, I coach with, he also coaches defensive line with me. And he's he's a young coach, but he's so reflective, asks great questions, and really has helped me improve our, or, you know, helped us improve our drills over the past few years. It's been incredible. And he also frees me up to kind of go look at the Pascal stuff sometimes and go help another coach when I have to. So he's really been a lifesaver for sure. Well, let's talk about that really quick because you said, you know, it's kind of weird that a defensive line coach, defensive coordinator, uh, that's that's probably that's probably true. Uh, most of the time, defense coordinators are coaching uh, backers or they're coaching the back end, especially today with offenses chunking the ball around the field. Uh, are the, what are the challenges uh, uh, of being a defensive line coach slash defensive coordinator? Well, the biggest one is kind of what I just talked about is just not being a part of everything all the time. If that makes sense, yeah. And most defensive coordinators want to be a linebacker's coach or maybe a safety's coach because they get to be a part of inside. They get to be a part of Pascal. They get to be a part of teams. So they have their eyes all the time. So you have to be very trusting. Luckily, I got some great guys I work with, you know, and, and we take a lot of practice and we have conversations about what's going on. And they just, they're just incredible men to work with. So I'm really lucky there. But I'd say that's the biggest challenge. Um, for me, getting working my way to a defensive coordinator, the biggest challenge was learning that back end stuff. You know, when you, right. you got your hand in the ground the whole time, I know how they fit in run fits. Run fits are the love of my life, besides my wife. So I, I love working run fits. I love thinking about those. But it was definitely a struggle 
fitting that back in stuff to what I do and going through that process coming from a defense alignment. But everybody has that for some part of the game, I feel like. Right, right. Well, then on the, on the inverse side of that, what are, what are the benefits of being a defensive line coach that's also a defensive coordinator? I don't know if there's anything specific that makes it way better, but I think it's a unique perspective just because I know how important those guys are and how they fit into everything. You know, you get, and, and you know, no offense to anybody, but sometimes you get those guys who are back in specialists who are only thinking past games, you know, pass coverage and stuff like that, that don't really understand how their guys fit into the run game. And they want to put a put a coverage in, but not match it with the front or not match it with what's going on up front. So I have a good, solid understanding of how that has to fit in. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that's definitely one of the things that defensive line coaches who then work themselves into being a defensive coordinator have going for them is uh, they know the, the run fit stuff in their sleep. And then, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. something that you had to do to prepare yourself to be a coordinator, then on it's on us as as defensive line coaches to go and learn the back end and and uh, to quote a, a coach that was on this podcast earlier uh, this year to clinic with our staff to talk about them to talk with them about how they're coaching up their guys so that we can learn that stuff behind us and 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 get a, have that have a, a great grasp of that as well. Well, let's get let, let's get into uh, let's get into your book. You you just released uh, a book called Outside Shades in June, and uh, I'm just going to open up. Talk to us a little bit about that book and and what was your inspira- First of all, what was your inspiration behind behind that book? Well, I really think it's kind of similar to you, Coach. Um, just looking around, you just don't have the type of resources for defensive line play that that other positions have. Um, so it just made me want to put my take out there and try to be helpful because I get a lot of stuff from a lot of really great coaches, whether it's Twitter or any of the great resources online. I get a lot of great stuff from them. So I wanted to kind of do my part and also help a position group that a lot of times, in my opinion, is undercoached. You know, some, some places think that you can just stick your worst coach there and whatever, and, and I honestly don't feel that way. Yeah, of course, of course. C- give us a brief outline of that book, what you discuss in that book, Outside Shades. Absolutely. So Outside Shades, I kind of, I might have limited myself a little bit too much by calling Outside Shades because most of what I do can be translated to, you know, head-up techniques, inside shade technique. You can still get a lot out of it, definitely. But, you know, I wanted to really get specific on what those outside shades see and stuff like that. So I did want to be that specific. I kind of go through a, a lot of different parts of it, starting with the benefits of coaching outside shade. And when I say that, I'm really talking about like straight across the board. We run a 4-3, but we do straight across the board outside shade at least 95% of the time. Yeah. Um, so I talk about the benefits of that. We go through and we work block destruction, which is understanding what a block means, how to defeat it, um, and really breaking down, building the drill up from the bottom up of how to defeat that that block. Um, talking about the benefits of outside shades, we jump over to, well, first I'll tell you, my philosophy on scheme is all schemes are great as long as they're sound. You know, I'm not one of those people who are just, oh, this is the only way to do it. Right. But you always have to understand the benefits of the scheme, and you have to understand 
the challenges of this team. So I have a really good section that kind of talks about what your defensive linemen have to be prepared for. And when you're playing with outside shades, what your defense in general has to be prepared for. Going to pass rush section, um, and then it all down to the bottom. And there's a few things in between, like little stories that kind of help sell points and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we get to the section called building the ultimate thrill. Now, that sounds a little dramatic probably, but everything we do as a, with our defensive line is building to this ultimate drill. I can't tell you when exactly we'll get to it, you know, but a lot of times it's about mid-season, and then that'll be our individual period the whole time. So I really go into detail about that as well. Well, let's we're going to jump into the, the, the meat of the book here in a second, but I want to ask you this because – uh, this is in the, the you mentioned in the synopsis of the book or the summary of the book uh, that that as high school coaches you know we coach whatever walks through the door uh, and, and that it's really paramount for us to be able to develop players to take these kids uh, when they're freshmen and to develop them into something and I think that's especially true for defensive line because sometimes the defensive line can be like the island of misfit toys you know you get a linebacker who's not quite athletic enough or can't cover or can't move around in space. Uh, I know for us uh, at the at the school that that I've been at for the last six years, uh, you know we've, we've we've had running backs, we've had uh, even kids who are safeties as freshmen who just got big and their bodies, you know, got got big enough to play down uh, play down there. But anyway, how do we develop those players? What's the best way to develop a player to be a great defensive lineman? I love that question, actually, and it actually reminds me of one more benefit of being the DC is I kind of get a little bit better choice than some people get on the defensive line as well. So I got to, I got to take some credit for that. Uh, it helps a lot. I get the kind of first pick sometimes if it's the right type of body. <laughs> yeah. But um, number one thing is stuff that has nothing to do with defensive line play. Obviously number one is training their bodies and their character. I really think if a student is in your program for four to sometimes six years if you get to start working with them in the weight room when they're in middle school. I mean, they should come out of your program. They should be strong. They should be coachable, and they should be a better person because of being in your program. Um, that's just honestly how I feel, and, and those characteristics make better football players in general. Now, that's not specific to defensive line, but in general, that makes them a better football player. Yeah. Um, the other piece of that I kind of mentioned earlier is I believe in great technique. You know, I, uh, I I want my players to strive for mastery. Now, will they ever get there? Probably not. But by always working for that mastery, I, I try to help my players live up to their potential. And that's that's what it is for me all the time. I mean, you know, you, you hear these guys that talk about not being results-based, but, I mean, I definitely am not. I'm going to look at the film at the end of the day, and I'm going to judge how I feel about the game by how we actually play, not necessarily the sport. And, right. and as long as we're making strides to be the best players we can be, I'm going to walk away from that game happy, no matter what. Now, usually that doesn't happen until Saturday or you know Friday night when I get to watch the film. But at the end of that, I feel a lot better usually if we're making those necessary strides. Right, exactly. Um, but with the technique, I mean, when you want to build mastery, I mean, that's a huge goal. You know, if, I, if I'm asking these kids to be as best as the best that they can, that means that puts a lot of pressure on my coaching as well. My philosophy on that is we start really, really small. I mean, you. I mean, some people would come in and say that's that's the most ridiculous drill you've ever seen. But I start very small. I build confidence and I progress through the entire season. So that's that'll lead me to the ultimate drill later. But 
at the beginning of the year, my individual is easier than group. You know, I make yeah. it that simple where they're getting, they're mastering little techniques that translate onto the field. And then by the end of the year, individual is the hardest thing we do, you know, because you're getting the best competition. Um, you're seeing all the different blocks. You don't have any down and distance. You don't have any uh, ease to kind of tell you what's coming. So you have to really be on your P's and Q's. So that's kind of my transition throughout the season. Start really easy, really small, build confidence, and make it as progress and progress and progress. Coach, as as you're as you're going through, I think that you, you mentioned something uh, that that I think is is really important, and I know it's a challenge for me. Uh, is that you know you said you t- you start off really small, really slow, in order to build confidence with those guys. And I think the big thing that I know that I got caught up with as a young defensive line coach is you know you have things on your list that you want to cover that day or that you want to cover that week, and so you want to get through those things as fast as you can because then you feel like you've done something. When you don't, and I think too many times, and I'm talking to myself here, we don't spend enough time on the foundation, kind of like what you're talking about. And if we neglect Absolutely. that, then we're really putting ourselves uh, in a tight spot as the season progresses, because then it's really hard to go back in week eight and and start and, and harping on fundamentals uh, and doing some things and trying to do some of that foundational stuff. And and, and then you're really you've you've uh, hamstrung yourself. Uh, as a position group, and so I think that's key that you mentioned. That, like, that's a key thing that you mentioned that you know really got to start small and progress and build and not move on until those guys have mastered that skill and it's looking like the way you want it to look. Absolutely, and and the hardest thing about it, it's starting to get easier. Like I said, this is year three, so that part's starting to get a little easier because they kind of know a lot and we can progress faster. Exactly. But year one, that was that was terrible. Yeah. I mean, I'm working basic stuff. And we're playing games. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my yeah. individual is still as easy as can be because they don't get it yet. And we're yeah. in the middle of games. Yeah. And, and that, that's an interesting thing because being the DC, that puts me in a hard spot too because if your defense is struggling, what do you want to do? You know, you, a lot of coaches want to blitz their way out of it or, you know, you're wrong. We blitz, but I don't want to bail my kids out from learning the technique. Yeah, uh, that brings me to something kind of interesting. You know, that first year, and, and no offense to any of our guys or anybody involved, but that first year we weren't going to be very good. I mean, you know, it just was what it was. We weren't very strong. We weren't didn't have great numbers. You know, it just kind of was what it was. Now, if I if I would have blitzed on certain teams more and just kind of uh, and threw everything out of them, I think we might have squeezed out an extra win or something like that. But, but here's the magic of it. Going from year one to year two, year two, I was playing with the same defense line. I had three returning starters on the defense line, and those guys got it by then. You yeah. know, at some point during that first season, it clicked. That second season, we doubled our tackles for loss. We, got, uh, we over-doubled our stack. You know, not really much to do with the defense line, but we got way, a lot more turnovers because they were confident. They were flying around, and they trusted their technique. Yeah. I really feel like if I would have bailed them out with some kind of scheme adjustment or something like that, we wouldn't have gotten to that point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's and, and what you're talking about, what you're describing is when you see that that light come on, and and all those guys are getting it. Uh, that's that's you know that's why we do what we do. Uh, you know that's why we have Absolutely. a coach in front of our name is because you know anybody can take a you know a kid who 
has all the physical ability and, and get them out there and they can run around the tackle and go get some sacks. But, you know, uh, and, and it's easy sometimes to complain about, man, if I had these kids or if I, if I had a kid that looked like this. But the thing is, is we can all teach technique. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we may not be able to control walks through that door, but we can all teach technique. And that's on us. That part's on us. And and our kids knowing that that's that's where we really had to be held accountable because, like you said, uh, we had to make sure we're not bailing our kids out and and let them do the difficult work of learning the fundamentals of their position. And then, like you said, as as I'm I'm sure now it's it's you got that thing rolling, and the older guys are coaching up the younger guys, and there's a culture there of how, and there's a there's a system for how things work, and so it just makes it where you can um, where things just run a lot smoother. Yeah, it's almost boring. Yeah, <laughs> They're yeah. doing all my work for me. Right, exactly. Well, that's the sign of uh, that those kids are coached up well uh, because that stuff's yeah. consistent and and they know what to expect and and then uh, they've they've built up their confidence. So that's great stuff. Absolutely, and I love what you brought up about you know like who you're coaching. I think anybody can coach those guys you mentioned. I mean, there are studs. You get a stud every once in a while. You yeah. know what I mean? That's yeah. not necessarily a sign of great coaching. Right. It's when you start bringing, in my opinion, great coaching is bringing everybody up a level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody yep. should be improving. You should see that progression with everybody. Now, everybody's not going to be on the same level, yep. but they should all be trending up, if yep. that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Perfect sense. That's exa- That's a great point to mention that, you know, if that kid's a, if that kid's a four, man, find a way to get him to a six, you know? That's uh, it. If, he, if that kid's a nine, get him to a ten. Well, a good sign for us this year, I think, I mean, we lost, like I said, I had three starters, seniors that were starters this year on the defensive line. All three of them very, very good. One kid in particular was just a really, really good football player. And, you know, this year coming up, I don't think we're going to maybe have anybody on that top end that he was. But because of the coaching job me and Coach Buchanan have been doing, you know, I feel like we have more depth. So, yeah. you know I mean, more people yeah. know what's going on. More people can play meaningful downs in the football game. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the goal there uh, is that you create that depth. Everybody knows what's going on and, and now you're ready to roll. Well, let's, let's get into the actual meat and potatoes of the book. You know, you you talk about or your book covers among other things, defeating common types of blocks that defensive linemen uh, have to defeat in order to be successful. So walk us through how you coach, block destruction with your guys blocks like base block doubles uh reaches or zone scheme things like that okay well i'll just start with base to begin with well you know obviously it all starts with stance. um one thing i really like to point out is you gotta teach a stance that fits what you teach yeah um i've seen you know coaches have talked to me before around here about their guys getting kicked out and you know getting too far upfield but then you look at the they're teaching and you you gotta you gotta the kids brought up in the air like they're in the NFL and you know that's a pass rushing stance. That kid has no choice but to go upfield, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So and I have no problem with that. You know, some teams like to be a penetrating type team. They wanna get upfield, they wanna be disruptive. That's not what I do. So I'm a read and react type of defensive line coach. So my stance has to fit that. Right. So by setting a really good stance Believe it or not, I don't I don't really work on the first step because by setting the right stance, it kind of takes care of that right step. If my hips are too high in the air, I take too long of the first step. If my hips are too low, I can't get out of my stance. I'm not physical. 
I really stress the stance part of this way more than I do that first step. Yeah. Um, so that's where it all starts. Let me let me pause you right there because being a so so being a read and react defensive line, you talked about your stance. So how do you coach? Or, or does that mean or do you have your guys getting like in a, a more of like a frog stance or um, how, how how are you coaching stance specifically? That's an interesting question because you know I see a lot of the NFL guys when they're that more the the true read and react. It's usually those big physical guys, and they're in that stance you're talking about where they don't even really take a first step. No, they wait for you and react. Yeah. I, I can't do that because I love speed too much. You know, I, yeah. I, we're in a 4-3 because I want to put the, the fastest guys who can be physical enough to play on the field. That's, yeah. that's what I want. Um, so our stance is kind of, a, I, I don't know, like, I guess the best way to call it would be a hybrid thing. Yeah. My, my hips are up in the air. And, and it can be a little bit different for each kid. But for the most part, you know, we do um, – a little bit wider than shoulder width. Obviously, that depends on the kid's legs and upper body and everything. It's just exactly right. And that's kind of where I start. I do play in a stance that I want a certain hand down. Yep. I always put the main hand down. Yep. Because I think it's it's very important. Some people don't want to do that. But if you don't step with that man's foot, you're not going to be very physical. Right. So I think that's very important. And, you know, obviously you get middle school kids coming up, they complain about that. They don't they don't like that at first, but then they start to understand. You know, all you gotta do is get comfortable in that stand. Um I'm also six two and a quarter. I used to say six three, but now I'm telling the truth. Six two and a quarter. <laughs> and uh most of my guys are not taller than me. So I tell them, you know, my right foot, if I'm in a right hand stance, it only goes down to my instep. I don't need to have it way back. Um some guys who are taller I might adjust a little bit. And then I find what I really find is that good hip placement, and I'm watching their left step. So it's not something really I'm coaching them, but I adjust their stance depending on their first step. So that all comes in the hip. So if they're not getting off the ball, their hips have to come up just a little bit. If they're taking too big of a first step, their hips have to go down. Yeah. Um, so okay. after that, we actually get away from our stance and our steps, believe it or not, and I put them in a fit position. Uh, fit position for me is actually stimulating that first step. So this is working against a base block. So I call that first step is the read step, but it's also against the base block. That's that contact step. I want to make contact on that first step. Offensive linemen like to make contact on the second. I like to beat them to the punch. Yeah. So we get in a fit position, inside foot up, because we just took that Simulated first step, right? I put them in the perfect contact position. I really stress that. Near foot is up, chest is up, hips are low. I'm playing half a man because I tell them, you know, I'm 250 pounds. I don't want to play 300 pounds. If I play half a man, I can dominate one fifth. And I really stress that to all my players. And that, and it really is that mindset that I'm putting them in that allows me to play kids who are smaller but faster and still we don't get moved around. Um, I pull them in tight to me, and then after that, this is my drill for baseball starting off. It's literally one step. So I get in that step position. Uh, my first step in that position is actually going to be that outside foot. Right. So I'm going to race to get my outside foot in the ground while I get full extension. <laughs> and I, I hate to do this on a podcast, but how I do it is I really emphasize each each spot. So when I say full extension, I teach them that if you have any bend in that elbow, 
that guy's going to destroy your bicep. Our biceps are not very strong. Yeah. So I want full extension. So that guy's got to try to, if he's going to get into my chest, he's got to break my arm. That's yeah. just, that's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, we stress playing a gap and a half. And those are my words I use. And I explained to them that that means we're sticking this lineman back in his hole. Yep. I don't want my guys just to eat up blocks. I want to stick that guy in a hole so he's got to bounce to me. I get an easy tackle. Yep. Yep. Um, and then I also stress staying really square for that same reason. You know, so if I, if they kick that second step is too big. Now I do talk about the second step a little bit more. Um, but if that second step is too big, you start turning in. You yeah. know, you start turning into the ball. Yeah. And you play athletic guy. So when yeah. an athletic running back bounces it, and you get outran to the sideline, it's because you. Pro- it's probably because you didn't stay square or you went upfield. Right. But, you know, those are the things I really, really hard on. And, you know, I'm doing that year-round. That's something I don't need pads. I don't even need the, you know, the arm shields or whatever for that. I do that on people. It's not a contact drill, but I can coach so much. I, I stress that all the time. I work that drill all the time. Um, and then from there, it's just about increasing the difficulty. And, you know, most people can understand where this would go, but you increase the difficulty by maybe adding a back to it. So now they're having to patch off the block and, you know, read and read the, the running back direction and stuff like that. And you can take it a step further by doing it out of a stand, um, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing, we do a very similar drill. I like starting them out where they're already beat. You know, they're already turned out, uh, like you said, where their their shoulders are perpendicular with the line of scrimmage, and they have to fight back to get square and then put that lineman's butt back in that hole where he came from. But, yeah, that's great stuff, Coach. So that's base block. Um, what, what else we got? What, what's, what's the next block we're defeating? Okay, well, this usually wouldn't be the next block, but just because we're talking about base, I'm going to double team. Okay. So – Perfect. So double team um, beat the base block. You know, there's different types of double teams, obviously, and you yeah. know, it could be a reach block from your post or whatever. Yeah. The point I'm trying to make is if you dominate your post, there is no double team. Yeah. You're putting these two guys on different levels, Yeah. and now they're working against each other instead of working together. You know, they, they kind of kill themselves, really. Um now, that's a perfect situation, though, and I, I, we do get there. I really think our guys, for the most part, get to that point to where they understand that all I got to do is beat this base block, and I'm in good shape. But we do teach a way to defeat a block when you're not in the best of situation. Actually, I don't know if you saw this on, on Twitter or not, but they actually, you know, Stu is at a new place now. Yep. Um, yeah, they showed him working going to a double team. He was on a sled and working yeah. against the double team. Yep. We do something very similar to what he was doing. He kind of goes down to a knee and yep. kind of turns that shoulder. Yeah. But we don't we don't do that. What we do is so we make contact and then we snap down our post and pivot into the other guy really hard. Now it sounds like that's some kind of complicated, difficult thing. But it's so easy because you're using your post momentum. I mean, that yeah. guy will literally fall on his head sometimes because you're using his momentum against you. And now you've stopped both people. Yeah. And you haven't fallen down. You haven't given up movement. You know? Yeah. I, I, I really, I really, for myself, I can't stress this enough. I never tell kids to fall down. 
Because yeah. here's here's the thing to me. You're giving them an out. And once you give them that out, they think they almost think they're doing the right thing. Like, oh, yeah. it's okay, I fell down. Yeah. No, that that's not good enough to me. Yeah. You know, I think I think coaching high school kids is really about the mindset. You yeah. have to put in the mindset that no, you can do hard things. Is this yeah. tough? Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. we work so hard to get you ready for that. You've put in the work. You can handle this situation. And then obviously building from there. So again, I don't necessarily start that fast. I start beating the base and then adding in the contact afterwards. So they have to feel that pressure afterwards. Um, and then kind of build it up, build it up until they're going against two of our best offensive linemen and full, full out. So yeah. it's all about starting small and building up. That's, as you can see, that's my philosophy. Right, right. Well, let me ask you this. So on the, on the, uh, on those on those double teams, and if it's a base double, are, are your guys going to turn their shoulders into that, uh, into that, uh, you know, off their post, into their pressure key, or are they trying to keep their, still keep their shoulders square in their gap? No, they actually. That's the one time we actually sell out and we turn our shoulders, yeah. and we're selling out for that two for one. Yeah. Now we're standing up, so when that guy comes off, we square up. Yeah. But. But we throw everything we got into that guy, and it takes away all his momentum, and we stay in our gap. Because in my mind, as long as we don't give up ground, we're at least winning that gap. Now, they are responsible, and that's something we drill a lot. They are responsible if that double-team guy comes off. They got to square back up, and now they have to be able to make a play in their gap. Yeah. But, and you know, you have guys who can split double teams and stuff like that, and that's all great. Those are the guys we talked about earlier. You don't have to, you know, they dominate. They don't. Yeah. They don't have to necessarily drill a specific way to do that. Sometimes some kids can just do that. The hard practice is getting those guys who, you know, some years want to be even be on the field for you, but you still can't get moved. Right. Well, and and for me, double teams has been one of those things. I've gone back to the drawing board over and over and over and. And and tweak this and and thrown this out or added this and that's 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 something every offseason I'm looking at and asking coaches about because it's been really difficult uh, over the years for us. A part of that is and this sounds like a cop out, but I'm well, I have small guys. I haven't had any just big time space eaters in there. But other than that, but but the other part is just finding that that sweet spot of of meshing those techniques together and. And and I could, because like you said, I'm glad you said this. I can't stand coaching the just fall down and make a pile because that's just such mm-hmm. a white flag give up technique. And then all of a sudden you get guys breathing on them and they're falling down. And yeah. and and so I've uh, seen it, coach. The, the reason I bring it up is you know I've seen that. I've been around programs that yeah. do that, and I just yeah I couldn't. I I can't. You know, football is a little bit of a psyche and. Uh, and a mindset type situation. And if you're trying to play a game, but you have that mindset, I feel like you can't do anything. We want you to do very well. Honestly, you know, you're yeah. always going to look for a cop out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Great point. And that goes right along with what you're talking about earlier about not bailing kids out with uh, stunts and, and making them play the technique, you know? Um, anyway. Well, the cool thing about that is too, right, and we experienced, we had more success with our, with our stunts when we did do it this year, our stunts and, you know, our blitzes from here and there, they're so much more successful because teams are worried about us playing technique. They expect us to get hands-on every single play. So now I can mix in a few big plays and get them off guard, Yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It it all builds on itself. 
I mean, you're not going to be a great blitzing team if you don't have the foundation of fundamentals in place. You're not. You might you might Absolutely. hit lightning in a bottle every now and then and, and, and surprise someone, but consistently you're not going to be a great defense without fundamentals. And fundamentals aren't aren't they're not fun. It's monotonous. It can sometimes be just mind numbing, but it's the thing. I mean, you have to be able to do that. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how good you are. That stuff's going to catch up with you somewhere down the line. Okay, so we got. I'd love to add something to that. Yeah, go honestly, ahead. Go ahead. Because I completely agree with you, Coach. That's the hardest thing for my. Now, my older kids get it. They understand that this has translated for them, and they felt success because of. You know, they felt right. the difference on the field. Right. Got kids who aren't as strong as kids playing physically and getting off blocks and, you know, so on and so forth. But those young kids coming up and you stick them in a sit position three days in a row and you're working this monotonous stuff and their eyes start looking at those linebackers running around tackling dummies. Oh, yeah. 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 That's where those older kids come in too. Yeah. You know, because they can kind of take them under the wing and say, hey, this is worth it. You're going to be better because of this. Yeah. You get the coach. I just want to make plays. Well, dude, guess what? This is how you make plays. Uh, you know, Absolutely. this is, if, and if you'll just listen to me and trust me, by the time you're a sophomore, junior, senior, you're going to be making a bunch of plays and be putting your mm-hmm. arm around my neck, thanking me that I didn't just sit there and blitz you all the time because that, and then that's all you know how to do when you're a senior. Yeah. Is, is, is it's like a cheat sheet. I, I know it might sound silly, but this stuff gets me excited because again, I had no technique going into college. Nobody had taught me about what blocks meant and stuff like that. I get into college, and now I'm like, man, this offensive alignment is literally telling me where the ball is going. Yeah. I, it just makes you play so much faster. Yeah, 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 great stuff. I mean, that's, that's it. That's it, and that's not, any, that's not any groundbreaking or earth-shattering hot take there. That's, that's, but it always will be. It always will be about technique, about fundamentals. Okay, well, let's move on. So we talked about base and doubles. Um, what about reach block zone? We get a lot of that uh, down here. Uh, how are you defeating those? Um, just fighting pressure. Uh, the, the, the funny thing is, is I spend so much time working on, we squeeze and spill. So I don't know if I mentioned that yet or not. So we, the hardest thing for us is down block. Yeah. Cause I want squeeze yeah. and spill and we are spelling out. We're taking away that inside gap. Yep. So we spend so much time reacting to that block that that honestly reach is is easy. Yes, I, I know that sounds crazy, but it's so much easier because we have the advantage. We're squeezing a block that has a half a gap advantage on us, and I still, I mean, we're still squeezing that flat down the line. We got to get great hands on it. So when you're talking about a guy who's trying to get your outside shoulder, and you already have the advantage, you take that first reach step, and now. This is easy money. Um, the the hardest thing about that is when they do get reached. Yeah. Because initially, any good offensive lineman will at least get the head up on. You know what I mean? Yeah. A great offensive lineman might even beat you a little bit. But the thing is, you have to fight that pressure. So you know, we work the push pull method. You know, we're feeling that pressure out there. Get a good extension with that left hand uh, or that outside hand. I'm sorry. I'm thinking from a Shade it to the left. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> um, so with that outside hand, I'm getting great extension. And and one thing that is, it feels like I always have to overemphasize, and you wouldn't think it would be that way, but our guys get so focused on block that they forget that they, they got to go make a tackle. Yeah. You know, we're not just beating a block. I got to yeah. get out here and make this, the tackle in this running back. So we always work with a ball carrier. 
and we always work it zone style. So, you know, I think I think the full on sellout reach those those are sometimes a little bit easier. The harder part is when you're beating the reach block, and all of a sudden they flip the pressure on you, and now it's a base block, and you're yeah. getting based out. Yes. Um, so we always work it that style, and and we start off slow. We work reading that pressure and then turning and fighting the opposite pressure because, you know, if you're just running, you're making an inside hole bigger if you're just treating it like a reach even when they start to block. So that's something very important we do, always reading that pressure. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it's strange, but that becomes the the simplest block for us. Yeah, yeah, of course, you're right. You're right. Uh, and if you're coming off and attacking, then then really, like you said, that reach block takes care of itself. And, you know, we're, again, with the school where I have been, you know, we're the same thing. We are a squeeze and spill team. And and so we're more worried about that down block. You say, hey, look, we'll, we'll recover from a reach block. You know, mm-hmm. we can recover from that. We're not going to let that scare us. And we're not going to we're not going to allow that to, the, the threat of that to cause us to be passive. Absolutely. And and it's, it's, it's only bad if you backdoor it. You know what I mean? Yeah. As long as you're fighting that pressure all the way down the line, you know, some people get reached initially and want to backdoor it, and now you've cut off everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've yep. cut off that flow completely. But if I can just get them fighting and fighting and fighting, they'll still make the play without making a tackle. Yeah. Yeah, at least string it out. String it out to the sideline and let those uh, linebackers behind you uh, scrape over the top and, and make the play. Just keep that guy from getting north and south. And, and part of ours is, Again, playing outside shades and playing with athletes. I try to put athletes out there. Now, that's not always the case. First year, weren't very athletic, weren't necessarily extremely fast last year, but we were a lot, you know, our guys got it a lot better. But, you know, it's hard to reach an out athlete. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you got a fast yeah. guy out there, it's an offensive tackle, and it's still a, you know, it's still a high school offensive tackle, too. So, yeah. like you said, you're playing with running backs down on the line. It's tough to reach that guy. It really is, as long as they're playing flat, too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, let's move into uh, the other topics that your book covers. Talk to us. Uh, walk us through some other things that you cover in your book, Outside Shades. Well, everybody loves talking pass rush. You want me to jump into that? Yeah, let's let's jump into some pass rush. Okay. So, my philosophy on pass rush. Best way to get a great pass rush is to, know, for one, know it's a pass, and two, play with athletes. You know, that's my thing, and that's why... I played six technique and four technique in college. I loved it. Four technique is probably my favorite position to play in the world. But by having me on the field, I wasn't necessarily the best pass rusher of all time because I was playing those big physical blocks. Mm-hmm. By playing nine techniques and stuff like that, I feel like I can get better natural pass rushers on the field. Uh, so that's one thing, one reason we do that. Um, and then knowing it's a pass is, for one, stopping the run right on rundown, but our pre-snap reads are very important to us. Um, just to mention them real, really quick, obviously down in distance, and a lot of these depend on the team you're playing for sure. Yeah. So, you know, scouting report and stuff like that. But down in distance, situational, what do they like to do in certain situations, maybe uh, a sudden change, um, you know, obviously formations and personnel, O-line stance and their split, and even the O-line is blocked eyes, and I feel like that's one that people don't you know, when I say that, people are like, what are you talking about? But you can read an offensive lineman's eyes, and if they got their eyes downfield on a linebacker, a lot of times, it's a run play. They're thinking about picking up that kind of thing, so yeah. you can kind of get tendencies on that, too. Now, that one's 
a little little bit less. But when I know it's a pass, it's hard to it's hard to pass block somebody who knows it's a pass. Right. And that's a that's a big part of us is picking out those situations. Uh, next thing is changing their mindset because again, it's hard to get a great pass rush when you are thinking stopping the run first. So I got to change that mindset. So that involves changing their alignment. For a lot of the guys, it just means, you know, widening them out a little bit, getting, getting that offensive alignment in a little bit more space, uh, changing our stance, getting into one of those pass rush stance, which for us is mainly just let's pick our hips up a little bit and drive our knee on that first step and really try to get vertical. Yes. And, and then the last part for our pass rush, and, you know, I'm, uh, it's, it's simple, but I like the, uh, it's having a plan. You yeah. know, uh, I can't tell you how many times, you know, because we want to set the run first, and I, I applaud that. I can't tell you how many times our guys will, every, and we're getting better. I got to give, give them some credit. We're getting better. But see a, a pass set and go straight to them and get hands on them. Yep. I'm, I'm like, no, that's not when we want to do that. So having that plan, so when you, you know what to do. Um, so having a plan for us is, I know a lot of people teach a ton of pass rush moves. I like to teach, you know, more than a guy needs so that we can put them with the right things. Cause some moves are more suited for a certain player. But yep. I tell them, I just want to have maybe three moves and learn how to plan with them and learn how to think and use them at the right time. Yep. I think that's very important. So it's kind of like a chess match. He should be thinking like, what did he just give me? What did his set just give me? Yep. What did I do? And how will he react now? So a quick example for that, if you've got a speed guy, you know, you got a guy who that offensive lineman has to be worried about his speed, that guy's going to start oversetting and getting really high in the stand. Right. Perfect time for a bull rush. You're taking a smaller, a much smaller. Do you remember Daddy Nichols from Virginia Tech? I don't. Well, he was small. I mean, he was 220, and he did make it to the NFL. But that kid had a sick bull rush. And he's a grown man, obviously, now. So I shouldn't say kid. But he had a great bull rush. I went up and saw him in a spring practice. But the guys had to respect his speed so much that his bull rush was just devastating. Yeah. You know, and then you have something to work off of that. So if you have those three moves and you work them well and you're constantly thinking, you're a nightmare for an offensive lineman. Right. Right. Um, I do have kind of a new thing that we're, we're starting to work on this year. If you want to hear about that. Lay it on me. Yeah, let's go. Um, so, <laughs> I don't, I don't know when this hit me, but you know, we're, you're watching all these one-on-ones and stuff on TV. And that's, that's how we really were drilling our practice for pass rush stuff is we were doing a lot of stuff with a quarterback who is non-existent, just standing in the pocket. Yep. That just doesn't make any sense. That's not how the quarterback plays that position. And the worst feeling in the world is you got a third and long because you just played great run defense. You get you you're getting a great pass rush and a and really an unathletic quarterback steps up in the pocket and picks up a easy ten yard rush. Yep. Maybe right through B gap. Yep. So what we've really been working this year is always reacting to the quarterback. So no matter what the pass rush, now we do skill acquisitions, the acquisition, so we'll work moves. But whenever we're doing any type of actual drill, you know, we'll teach moves, I should say. 
But whenever we're doing any type of actual drill, we're always going to have that quarterback, and our eyes should always be on him to always be reacting to him. So kind of how we've been working on that is we put him in a different fit position. Um, so we call it pass, passing fit position, very creative. Uh, <laughs> so the offensive lineman will end up with hands on us. We're actually putting ourselves in a disadvantage, uh-huh. you know, starting out compared to normal pass rush situations because I don't want them to get hands on us. But I always stress to our guys from that position, I'll say go, we have a quarterback, and I always stress for them to get vertical because that's going to give us space both over the top but also underneath. It just gives us space to work and gets us away from that the other offensive linemen's uh, help. So after that, I mean, there's not a whole lot of coaching after that. It's just reacting to the quarterback. So if that quarterback steps up, we have to get into that gap. I'm telling my guys they are responsible for a gap and a half, just like we are in the run game. And, and I think about it like this. You know, if they have five offensive linemen, that's six gap. We have four defensive linemen. We have to be responsible for a gap and a half. Mm-hmm. So I always make sure they're responsible for at least closing that inside gap when that guy starts to step up. So from that position, they're just reacting to him. If that guy stays in the pocket, they can't work past quarterback levels, so they have to make a move, you know, make a change or a bull rush or something from that point. But always, always stressing that we are reacting to that quarterback. And so far, I think, you know, obviously we haven't gotten to a game yet, but it seems to be making a big difference for them. So I'm, I'm hoping to see positive results from that. Yeah, that's a great, great idea. And, and one of those things that you're like, well, yeah, of course, why would we not do that? Because never in, have I ever seen a quarterback just stand back there like a Statue of Liberty and, you know, let you just come sack him. And, and yeah. um, I, I thought you were going to say, uh, I think that maybe the next the next worst feeling that you can get on third down is when you have a kid who just blazes up the field and he beats his tackle and and just runs past the runs past the quarterback, you know, just keeps on oh, going. Gosh. And uh, or, or uh, what about those guys who their hips go up? They hit a great move and their hips just raise up immediately. Yeah, and then somebody breaks contain because of it. Right, uh, right, nightmares. Yeah. And and all that stuff it can be fixed with what you're talking about is throwing a kid in there and it could be a JV quarterback or a manager or whatever and just hey move around a little bit, react to the pressure, step up flush, whatever, and then uh, you know it teaches those, D line, those defensive linemen, yes, you have a plan, you have your initial rush plan, but then also you have to be able to react to what that quarterback's doing. I think that's a great idea and, and something that um, uh, will really help your defensive linemen have some situational awareness because that's something they all need work on uh, for sure. Absolutely, and, I, and I, this might sound silly, but I really hope I'm not the only person in that position because I was just like, Wow, this is dumb. Why am I doing this? No, uh, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm right there with you. I've, you uh, usually, and this is even worse. We've had like the, the sixth offensive lineman who's not going in there, standing back there, you know, with cheeseburgers falling out of his shoulder pads, being the quarterback catching the deep snap. So, you know, uh, yeah, uh, putting someone in there to move around a little bit uh, is a great idea. Um, okay, well, t- talk to us a little bit about uh, as we're getting ready to close up here. Uh, where where can your book be purchased and and how do we how do we go about buying your book well it's on amazon so i I took advantage of the amazon deal where you can do the self-publishing so i have a kindle uh book as well as a paperback okay and they're both available now the paperback 
honestly, was a little bit more difficult. So it took a little while longer, about a week longer to get it out. And I had to do some adjusting for the format. But they're both available through Amazon. I post a lot of links on it from Twitter. I know a lot of football coaches on Twitter, and I love keeping up, meeting with new coaches, kind of seeing what they're doing. You can definitely follow me on Twitter uh, at ZLeonard54. And then I post links on there. I think it's probably my pinned, pinned tweet right now, so they can find it there. Yeah, and, and you know, I also have my information in the book. I, I I really like hearing from people about the book, what they think, questions, feedback. You know, because at the end of the day, we're all here getting better, and that that's what I want to do is just continue to get better and help other people get better. So I really, I, I consider myself a coachable person, so I can take feedback. You know yeah. what I mean? Right, right, of course. Well, if you have, if there was some coach out there, defensive line coach or otherwise. Uh, who's wanting to do something. Maybe it's write a book. Maybe it's start a blog. Maybe it's start posting stuff on Twitter, start putting their drills out there on Twitter. You know, that that can be a little bit of a um, nerve-wracking thing because, yeah, you're going to get that feedback. Most of it will be positive, probably. Some will be, you know, not so positive, whatever. Uh, But what would your advice be to those guys who are kind of thinking about doing that? Maybe it's writing a book, like I said, or doing a blog or, or posting things. What would you say to those guys? Well, I was 100% in that situation. I told you before, talking to you earlier, um, you know, the writing the book happened pretty quickly. Now, the working on the pictures and stuff like that took a little longer, but a lot of it was I was just rereading it, double-checking it, because I, was, I think I was nervous about putting it out in the open. And, and I will say it's very anticlimactic. It really is. You know, it doesn't just start rushing in. You know, it, it's a slow-building thing. You got it. You got to get word of mouth out there. So, so just put it out there and treat it like a learning experience. You know, we always tell our kids to don't be afraid to put themselves out there, have a growth mindset so they can keep improving. And at the end of the day, the way I think about it, even if I didn't sell one copy, which I've sold more than that, I'm pretty happy about. Uh, All right. Awesome. It's something to learn from. Yes. Right. And, and you have to put yourself in these situations to get better at whatever you want to do. So even if I don't ever become you know, maybe the author I want to be, I'm getting better. Yeah. And, and we tell our kids that, that, that that's what they should focus on. And they have to have real world examples of that. The other side of that is I'm not lucky enough to have kids yet, but, you know, for the people who have kids out there, you want them to follow their dreams. You know, that you want them to put themselves out there and go after the things they really want in life. I think you have to be the example for those kids as well. Um, so those will just be my two quick thoughts on it. Yeah, great, great answer, Coach. I guess to sum it all up, it'd just be, hey, dude, just do it. Just do it, it and and don't worry about it. Put yourself out there. Don't be scared. Uh, well, now I'm going to try a new wrap-up question. You know, up to this point, it's always been about, you know, what's one thing you're doing to get better, that sort of thing, as we're creeping now closer to July uh, and getting later on in the summer. We're throwing that question out for now, okay? Uh, so I'm going I'm to throw a new one at you. So here it is. What defensive lineman, living or not, college or pro, would you pay money to see play? And tell me why. Well, I told you earlier I played defensive end in college, but for some reason I think I have the mindset of one of those inside guys. I just love those big, huge, you know, war daddy type guys. Um, so I, I'm, I got two inside guys that I would just love to be able to see in person play. That's Warren Stapp and Sue. I mean, just two 
too, because they're both really good at stopping the run, and they can both get pass rush. I love that. You know what I mean? They're yes. guys you don't have to take off the field if you don't want to. Yeah. Uh, they their block destruction. I told you I love block destruction. Their block destruction is unbelievable. Aaron Donald is fantastic. I love that guy, but but Sue helped him out a lot. I think because you just could not not double team Sue. You know, he was making people right all across the field. Every highlight I see of Aaron Donald, I see Sue right there making a big play, too. Yeah. So I just love yeah. those two guys. Well, Coach, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking with us. Coaches, make sure you go and check out Coach Leonard's book, Outside Shades. Uh, the link to that, to where you can go and look at that at, at Amazon, will be in the show notes. So check that out. Also, make sure you follow Coach Leonard on Twitter. Coach Leonard, good luck to you the rest of the summer, and uh, good luck to you this upcoming season. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Great stuff from Coach Leonard today. Make sure you follow Coach Leonard on Twitter, and also be sure to pick up a copy of his book. You'll be glad you did. Also, Coach Leonard's contact information and the link to his book are in the show notes of this episode, so be sure to check that out. Well, coaches, have a great 4th of July. Let's all remember that we do live in the greatest country in the world, and that is thanks to the men and women who are serving in our armed forces and those who have given their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have today. Speaking of veterans, make sure you check out next week's episode of KYPD, where we once again bring on a guest who is not a football coach, but one of the most influential people in my life personally, and someone I know you'll enjoy listening to. So that's a plug for next week's episode. Make sure you check it out. Our quote of the day comes from Lou Holtz, and it is, Everyone goes through adversity in life. What matters is how you learn from it. Have a great week and a great 4th of July. But remember, until next week, God bless America and keep your pads down.